Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. Good morning, guys. Good to see everybody. I know um, you're just going to have to bear with us till we move, guys. Everything's going to be pretty unprofessional, and we're going to have a great time, but this is just how it is until we move. Hopefully, it's only going to be a few more weeks. We're going to work hard. If you want to work hard along with us, just let us know, all right? We'd love to have you. Teamwork makes the dream work. I believe that's what um, Nickelodeon taught me. So. That's, um, that's the goal. We'd love to have you guys apart, but we're really, really excited. Hopefully only um, you know, about a month left. We'll see what happens. We've got some more renovations to do, but we're working hard. Excited you guys are a part of it. Um, I'm going to feel a little bit like Andy Stanley this morning, so I'm excited. I get to point at a screen. It's going to make me very happy. I might end up just getting one of my own to carry around with me because I want to be like Andy. I'm not going to lie. All right, so if you haven't been here, I just want to catch you up, okay? Just in case you weren't here the last few weeks, we have been in a series called The Story. All right, we've been in a series called The Story. We're talking about the most influential story in human history. We're talking about the story that has influenced, impacted more people than any other king, any other queen, any other um, country or um, society put together. This one story that we're talking about has impacted more than all of those put together. And that's the story, you might have heard the name before, but the story of this man named Jesus. And we've been reading from Luke's account Again, Luke didn't set out to write the Bible. He had no idea that what he was writing would one day be included in this book that we know as the Bible. He sat down to write a letter to a close friend that had heard about this man named Jesus, this guy named Theophilus, and he had chosen to put his faith and hope in Jesus, and Theophilus wanted to hear the whole story. So because Luke is such an amazing guy, he sits down and he writes out the story of Jesus from beginning to end, and he sends the letter to Theophilus. And this is the letter that we get to read, and this is the letter that we've been going through over the last few weeks, all right? Um, The first week, we did chapters one and two, which is all about the birth of Jesus and John the Baptist. The next week, we did chapters three through nine, which Luke jumps forward in time, and we see that John is now a prophet, and that Jesus gets baptized by John, and Luke reveals through his writings, through his stories, that Jesus is actually the Messiah that everyone has been waiting for. He's the chosen prophet. He's the son of God that all of the Israelites have been waiting for. The only problem is they were expecting someone to come and free them from the Roman Empire. And yet Jesus seems to be doing something very, very different. He's establishing a kingdom, but not the kingdom that anyone expected, not the kingdom that anyone wanted. They wanted to be be free from Rome. They didn't want this kingdom of love, compassion, empathy, acceptance that Jesus brought. And that's what he was doing, is he was establishing this type 
of kingdom. So in Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to pick up. We're going to go through Luke chapter 10 through 19 this week, all right? So just in case, I hope you've been reading along with us, but just in case you haven't, I'm going to give an overview of chapters 10 through 19, and then we're going to jump in into a few of the different stories throughout these chapters, and we'll read them along today. But again, I'd love for you guys to read the whole story in context, because like I said, context, like I said last week, statistically only 8% of us read the scriptures. Only 8% of us actually read the Bible, meaning you might have heard stories in the Bible, but you're missing out on the story of the Bible. And that's what we're talking about, okay? So chapter 10, here we go. Try to pay attention. It's, it's pretty exciting. It's the story that changed all of human history. So you kind of want to lean in. You want to know the story. So in chapter 10, Jesus sends out all of his disciples in waves. He sends them out to all of these different cities and towns to prepare the way for Jesus to come. So they would go ahead of him and they would start getting people ready. They would start spreading the word that this man named Jesus, the man who heals, redeems, and set people and sets people free is coming to their town. And when Jesus would arrive, he would preach the good news. He would preach the good news. And like we talked about last week, the good news is to be preached to the poor. That's why Jesus came. So if you're wealthy, if you happen to be in the middle class, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't interested in you, but in Jewish society and this culture that we're reading, you could actually have a lot of money and still be considered poor because the people that were poor were the people that were outcasts, the people that weren't wanted, that weren't needed, the people that were marginalized, women, children. Jesus came for people like that. He came to set people free and to preach the good news. And this was the kingdom that he was establishing, that no one else, you might not feel wanted by anyone else. You might not feel important because no one else cares. But Jesus came and he goes, I want you. I care about you. So that's what he was doing as he was inviting them to follow him and be a part of this new kingdom that he was establishing. So throughout this entire section, 10 through 19, it's filled with Jesus's teachings and parables. There's a whole lot of red letters in this section. If you didn't know, when Jesus speaks, most of the time scripture records it in red, and that's the words that Jesus spoke. This section is packed full of all kinds of parables, of all kinds of teachings. And in these parables, Jesus shows how his kingdom operates. Again, everyone's expecting this strong ruler to come in and set them free. They're expecting a war to happen against Rome, to overthrow Rome. And Jesus comes and he would go from town to town and he would teach what his kingdom is really about. And every teaching, every parable, he reveals what his kingdom is like and he reveals what it means to follow him. Jesus is revealing a new way of life that is truly worth living. So in the middle of chapter 12, that's where we're going to jump in and read a passage. In the middle of chapter 12, Jesus is talking about money, possessions, and how people tend to worry about everyday life. Now, I know this was written a long time ago, and we could never relate. We could never imagine wanting more money, 
wanting more possessions. We could never imagine worrying about everyday life. So I know this probably won't relate to you in any way, but we're going to read it anyway, okay? These are the words of Jesus. So let's see what he has to say about the topic. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 25. And it's going to be on the screen. I get to point to it just like Andy. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? That's what he does with his hand. He kind of jumps as he reads. I love it. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over big things? Again, this is Jesus, right? He's teaching to people. He's revealing his kingdom. This isn't just a coffee mug verse. This is the son of God revealing what his kingdom is like. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over big things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work to make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he certainly cares for you. Why do you have such little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink, you know, just that little stuff. Don't worry about such things because look at this, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. Again, he's revealing what it means to follow God, what it looks like to be inside the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. And he says, for your father already knows your needs. And you know, it's easy to hear these verses and to go, yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to be a part of the No Worry Club, right? Or you're like, well, maybe they're just optimistic. But you've got to understand, Jesus wasn't just teaching optimism. He was teaching a new way of life. Now, my son is very young, um, but maybe you guys have some children that are a little bit older, but you'll find that the principle is true. Children tend to not wake up and worry about whether or not their mortgage is going to get paid. They don't worry about whether or not their car payment, their parents' car payment is going to get paid or there's going to be food on the table. I know there are children that do worry about that, but the majority of children, those worries don't pass through their mind. They know that when they come to the table, they're going to scream and smack their hands, and you're probably going to give them mac and cheese because you give in way too often. But the goal is that you'll be a good parent, and you'll give them a balanced meal. And the point is, they don't worry about whether or not they're going to receive food. Okay, this is what Jesus is trying to re reveal. This is what his kingdom is about. Okay, I don't want you to miss it and think it's just about being, having a smile on your face. He's going, if you knew who your father was, you would live a, a life of faith and not a life of worry. So what this means is every single time we sit in a chair, we look at our bills, we get upset, we don't know if we're going to make ends meet. We get in our car, we worry about our safety, we don't get on 75. You know, all of these weird things that so many of us struggle with, Jesus is going, you're struggling with it because you don't really know who I am. So Jesus came to reveal who the Father is, and, he, and that's why he invites people into the kingdom to be like children, because he's going, you have to accept me as your father like your children accept you as, you, you as their father. The point of the story isn't just to be optimistic. The point of the story is to realize that God is a good father that he actually has your best intentions in mind, that he actually wants to bless you. 
Jesus said, if your earthly fathers can give good gifts, how much more can your heavenly father give? So many of us believe that if we come to God with our baggage, with our past, that God's going to be upset, ashamed at us, that he's not really going to want to do anything with us. And yet Jesus came and he revealed something completely different. He revealed that you struggle with fear, not because you have a fear problem, not because you have a bill problem, not because you have a financial problem, but because you have a faith problem, because you don't know who God is. And Jesus came to reveal who God is, and he goes, if he cares for birds, if he cares for the lilies in the field, how much more will he care for you? Jesus came so that he can reveal who the Father is, and that's one of the things that he came to reveal, that God is good, not because you're good, but because he's good. He came to take care of you, to love on you, and so many of us reject him just because we believe that we aren't wanted, and yet you and I are the very people that he came for. Jesus came to reveal the Father, and to establish his kingdom. So he's revealing that the kingdom is about you, about being cared for and about being loved. Jesus would go to these communities and he would establish his kingdoms. You see, where people would start to choose faith over fear, people would start to trade greed for generosity, people would start to trade anger for love, and all again, it's so easy to hear that. I know with myself personally as well, we go, wow, generosity? That sounds awesome. Love, absolutely, like sign me up for that, I wanna be a part of it. Until generosity requires that you give some of your money. And then you're like, hmm, I mean, it sounds good. I like when everyone else practices generosity. You hear what tithing means and you're like, well, maybe I'll just be greedy. You know, and what happens is, look, we, we hear, we say that we believe in Jesus. We say that we're believers, but we're not actually followers. Because Jesus goes, this is what my kingdom does. It's one that's built on generosity, faith, hope, and love. And it's so easy to believe in Jesus. It's a little bit harder to actually follow what he taught. And he taught to trade anger for love. And you go, yeah, that sounds good. I don't want to be an angry person. I want to choose love until someone takes advantage of you, until someone wrongs you, until someone betrays you and you have so much anger in your heart and the idea of forgiveness, the idea of blessing them despite what they did to you sounds repulsive. And why? It's because you believe in Jesus, you just don't wanna follow what he said. And this is the kingdom that Jesus established. It's one of generosity, one of love, one of acceptance, one of forgiveness. And I notice it sounds really good until something is actually required of us. It sounds, forgiveness sounds amazing until someone actually betrays us and and forgiveness is required from us. We want to be forgiven, but we never want to forgive. And Jesus is establishing this kingdom and flipping the world upside down as we know it. Again, everyone thought it was going to be this, you know, general Maximus from the gladiator to swoop in and to free them from the Roman Empire. And instead, it was a man that preached this type of gospel, but this was the gospel that changed all of humanity. So he goes on teaching the good news, and he would go after the outcast, 
the shamed sex workers, the tax collectors, all of the rejected, these were the people that he chased after. These were the people that he would sit down, that he would break bread with, that he would have conversation with. And the religious leaders at this time are watching and criticizing Jesus, wondering why, if he really is God's prophet, then why is he welcoming sinners to eat with him? And all throughout this passage, you'll see that, you know, Jesus will preach the good news and then here's a religious leader to come in and try to entrap him because they can't fathom why he's spending his time with people like that. So Luke says in chapter 15, this is the start of chapter 15. Luke says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And again, eating with them in Jewish culture was a sign of friendship. That meant, I want to enter into friendship with you, which isn't so different from our culture today. Most of the time, if you want to get to know people, spend time with people, um, you know, look at our society. The first thing we do is eat, you know? That's the first thing I do is I eat. Whether I'm bored, happy, mad, sad, I'm probably going to eat. Most of the time it's because I'm bored. But this was a way of entering into friendship with them, and they're so upset by it that Jesus, who claims to be sent from God, would enter into friendship with people like this. So this is Jesus' reply, again, to all of that criticism, this is Jesus' reply. He tells them a story. Maybe you've heard it if you've happened to come to church a few times. This might be the first time for some. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends, his neighbors, and he will say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Again, let's look at it in context now, because the story is amazing when we read it, you know, anytime, but when you get it in context, we really see what it is that Jesus is pointing us towards. The tax collector, or the um, religious leaders are wondering why he would associate with people like that, and Jesus is revealing, this is what my kingdom is all about. I'm setting it up for the one sheep. I'm setting it up for the person that has gone astray, and this is really good news for us. This means that despite our past, despite our decisions, our wrongdoings, all of our mess-ups that make us feel dirty and shameful, Jesus came to connect with you. Jesus came and he chose you because he wants to enter into relationship with you. He wants you to experience freedom. But yet he also reveals that his entire kingdom, all throughout chapter 15, he tells story after story. He tells three stories just to these religious leaders in a row to try to convince them of this one point. It's all about the one sheep. All right, but this is the question, okay? Do you say that you believe in Jesus or do you follow Jesus? Okay, so let's look at our past week our past month, our past year, and our past decade, how much of your life have you lived chasing after that one sheep? 
How much of your life have you spent going after that one coworker, that one family member, that one friend that seems to be an outcast that no one wants to spend time with, that one friend at school? Because look, this reveals, this reveals whether or not you say you believe in Jesus or whether or not you actually follow him. Because this is what his kingdom was all about. He tells story after story, teaching after teaching that we are here to go get the one that went astray. And the religious leaders are so confused that they think it's about just being holy and righteous and staying inside the four walls that they completely miss the Son of God because they completely missed his kingdom. If you want to actually embrace God's kingdom, if you want to be a part of what this man named Jesus established, then you need to realize you are wanted and accepted as the one that went astray. And once you walk into the fold, your call and your anointing is to go and get the others. So many of us believe that our call and our anointing is to be really good sheep inside the gates. And to look out and go, I'd never walk outside this gate. I can't believe other people do. And yet the very call was to go outside and pull the people back in. That's what the kingdom that Jesus was establishing. I'm talking to myself too. I'm looking back over my life and going, have I actually been living the call that he has given? Do I actually follow Jesus or many times do I just say that I believe in him because I want to actually follow him? There's points in the story where Jesus would look at people and he would say, follow me. And it would depend on whether or not people would count the cost and actually turn and follow him. Because there's a cost to it. There's a cost to your schedule, to the way that you spend your time. There's a cost to going after those sheep. But that was the very kingdom that Jesus was establishing. So shortly after these three parables, again, all of his teachings are pointing towards this one point. I'm going after the marginalized. If you believe in me, follow me and come do it with me. All right, so this is what he does. He goes through this like battle of the banquets and it's just dinner party after dinner party after dinner party. I'm like, man, gospel doesn't seem so hard, you know? (laughs) Like I'm all about this, you know, party after party after party. And he would go around and he would enter into friendship with people. So many of us want to be Jesus followers, but we don't have time to go out to dinner with people. And yet that was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was entering into friendship with people and revealing what it was to follow Jesus. So he would enter into friendship with with, um, sex workers. He would enter into friendship with tax collectors, with notorious sinners, and he would go to their home and they would have parties. Not wild parties, but they would sit around, enter into friendship, and they would talk with one another. And for the first time in many of their lives, they would feel wanted. And that, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, that is your call. You are meant to go after people, to enter into friendship with people, and make them feel wanted because they are wanted by the one that paid the ultimate price. All right, so not only did Jesus enter into all of these parties and banquets with notorious sinners, but he would also go to the tax collectors. Or (laughs) he would also go to the Pharisees and he would go to these religious leaders. He'd sit down and he would enter into, try to enter into friendship with them, but they would constantly, you know, ridicule him and ask him why he would associate with sinners. So to answer them, 
to answer why their, um, their ridicules and their questions, he answers them with a story. All right, and this is the story that he tells. Again, it might sound familiar. It's coined as the prodigal son story, or I like it better as the story of the two sons. It depends on what Bible you're reading out of. They'll label it differently. But just in case you haven't heard it, the story of the two sons goes something like this. There's a very wealthy man who has two sons, and one son decides that he wants his inheritance now which in Jewish culture means that, Dad, I'd rather you be dead so that I can have your money. Your money is more important to me than your life. So essentially, the father ends up giving him, giving him the inheritance. The son goes off. He spends it on wild parties, spends it on women and booze, and he thinks that he's living the life, right? Well, eventually, a famine sweeps throughout the land. The son finds himself sitting in the mud among pigs, eating the same food that they are. And he starts to question his decisions like many of us do. We don't question them until we're sitting in the mud. And he's sitting in the mud going, well, you know what? I would be better off as one of my father's workers, as one of my father's servants. I would be better off doing that than I am here. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to beg that my father will just make me a servant. I don't deserve to be his son. I don't deserve to have you know, the power and the position that comes with it. I just want to be a servant. And I don't know about you. I'm sure this doesn't relate to you. But I've had some low points in my life where just the thought of going to God feels so wrong because I screwed up so badly. I'm the one sitting in the mud. I'm the one that made the decision, right? I made the decision, and I knew it was wrong, and I made the decision anyway. And that's where this son is. In case you didn't know, that's what sin is. Sin means I knew it was wrong and I chose it anyway. So anyway, the son goes back and he starts entering onto the property of his father and his father sees him from a long way off and he comes running. And he wraps his arms around the son and the son tries to get out the words that he wants to be a servant. And before he can, the father wraps his arms around him. He puts a ring upon his finger and a robe upon his back. And what it's doing is it's signifying, you came to be a servant, but I've called you to be a son. You see, we come to God so often with our shame, with all of our mess ups, and we go, I don't deserve to even know you. And Jesus is going, it's not about what you've done, it's about who you are. You are a son. You are a daughter. So it doesn't matter how badly you've screwed up the poor decisions that you made on purpose, Jesus came and he wants you to be a son or a daughter. He doesn't want you to be a servant. He put a ring upon his finger, a robe upon his back, and he leads him into the home and he throws an entire party, a banquet, more banquets. They're everywhere throughout this chapter, guys. He throws this party for his son. He kills the fattened calf and then Again, remember, the whole story is for the religious leaders. The whole story is for the Pharisees. So now it, it turns back towards them. And they zoom in on the other son. And he's out working in the fields. He's doing long hours. And he comes home and he sees that there's a party. Everyone's excited. They're laughing. They're drinking. And he asks one of the other workers, what's going on? And the worker goes, haven't you heard? Your, your brother is back and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're throwing a party. And the son's filled with anger. 
Why would you throw a party for him? He rejected you. He didn't want you. He thought he was better off without you. And Jesus is showing that this is the very way that the religious leaders are acting. And then he has this interaction with his father and his father says, don't you know that everything you see is yours? The entire point of the story in this perspective where Jesus was telling it to the religious leaders, the entire point of the story was to go, it is more important that one person repents. It is more important that we go after the one sheep than about the 99 that are righteous. I'm glad you're righteous, but your call is to go after the 99 with me. That was the entire point of the story, and that's one of the main points of his entire kingdom. We are called to go after the one. We are called to go after the marginalized, the rejected, the people that don't have friends, that sit alone, that don't have any plans Monday through Saturday. We are called to orient our schedule, to make plans, to prioritize people like that because that's what Jesus did. He entered into friendship with people like that. We say that we wanna follow Jesus, but more often than not, us making money, us getting time alone, watching Netflix, recharging is more important to us than actually doing what he told us to do. So as this story goes on, we get into um, chapter 19, we see what really the only barrier into this kingdom is. The only barrier to enter into this kingdom is for you to humble yourself and to realize that you need him. All right, so we're going to read a portion of chapter 19, and you might hear a familiar name that maybe you've heard before, okay? So this is chapter 19, verse 1, and it says, Jesus entered Jericho. And he made his way through the town. Okay, so again, this is the next town. Remember, he's going town to town to town, establishing his kingdom. His disciples are going out in waves. They're preparing the towns for his arrival. And this is Jesus, okay? He's, he's at the town, and it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Anyone ever heard of Zacchaeus before? He was, the ch yeah, he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. All right, so again, maybe you've gone to um, you know, Sunday school. Maybe you've heard Zacchaeus was a... Okay, yeah, yeah, you've heard it before. I'm, I'm literally so glad you've heard it, okay? So I think that that, that song was inspired by verse 3. Verse 3 says that um, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I think that's what really inspired the song. I don't know about you. I've been in many crowds in my life that I could not see over. <laughs> I am six foot tall, and I cannot see over the crowds. And it's because there are other six foot tall people in the crowd. So I think that song is just poor theology. I think it should go like this. Zacchaeus was an average height man. An average height man was he. All right, so if you really want to teach your children good theology, that should be the song, okay? So just so we're all clear, average height man was he, okay? 
poor guy, you know? He's just an average Jew, okay? And you guys are getting on to him thinking he's so short because he can't see over a crowd. Next time you're in a crowd, you try to see over it, okay? So because he was in a crowd, because he couldn't see over it, he does this. In verse 4, it says, He ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now again, let's look. He's never met Jesus. Why is he so inspired? It's because, remember, the disciples are going ahead in waves, and they're telling stories. They're going, there's this man named Jesus coming. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. If you're here and you feel like an outcast, if you're here and you feel like no one wants you, like you have no purpose, like you have no place in life, there's a man coming that changes everything. There's a man coming that changes everything. When you lay in bed at night, if you feel like there's no purpose to your life, like you don't want to go on, like you don't see an end in sight, there is a man. And so Zacchaeus is filled with hope. He runs ahead, he climbs a tree, not because he's met him before, but because he heard a story. And he goes, I've tried it all. I've accumulated money. I've accumulated power, and I still feel broken, hopeless. There's a reason why, why suicide is the highest among, among people that make the most money. It's because when you finally get what you thought you wanted, you realize it's nothing. And that's where Zacchaeus says he realizes that he has nothing, and he goes, I have to meet this man named Jesus. I have to meet this man named Jesus. And he climbs up a sycamore tree in hopes, look at this, in hopes that he would just hear one of his teachings, in hopes that he would just hear one of his parables. And in verse five, Jesus comes walking. It says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Can you imagine that moment in Zacchaeus' life? where you just want to get a glimpse of this teacher. And yet he came to the town just for you. He came to this world just for you. And he looks up and he locks eyes with Zacchaeus and he says, quick, come down, Zacchaeus. Come down, Zacchaeus. I must go to your home today. Again, you've got to understand what Zacchaeus was going through, okay? He is a lifelong Jew, but he was a tax collector for the Roman Empire, which means he was a traitor to his people. Not only was he a traitor, but he was a liar and a thief. He stole from his very own people, and because of that, the Jewish leaders at the time had him excommunicated, which was a high penalty to pay. Excommunication meant for Zacchaeus a lifelong Jew. It meant that he could never again enter into the home of another Jewish man or woman. It meant that he could never have a meal with his family members. He could never sit down and eat with his friends, his childhood friends. It meant that he could never go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And it meant that he could never go to Jerusalem for the high feast. And yet, this is what Jesus is doing all through chapters 10 through 19. Jesus is traveling from town to town on his way to Jerusalem for the high feast, for the Passover. And Zacchaeus isn't even allowed in. He's not even allowed in. And yet, when Jesus walks by, he goes, I want 
to enter into friendship with you. Zacchaeus, maybe you haven't heard yet, but my entire kingdom is for you. Everything that I've set up, everything that I've done, it's all for you. And then Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and he took him into his house. Look at this, with great excitement and joy. With great excitement and joy. Verse six or seven. But the people were displeased. They were displeased. He has gone to be with the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Please don't ever be that person. I don't ever want to be that person. I wonder if I've, ever, if I've ever missed what it is that God's doing and criticized his very works. To be a guest in a notorious sinner's home, they grumbled. Meanwhile, look at this. In the middle of their complaints, the gospel is coming forth in power. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Oh, God, help me not make an IRS joke right now. <laughs> oh, Jesus, please let them give back what they cheated me. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. Look at this, all right? Jesus impacted Zacchaeus, not by preaching, not by teaching, not by telling him how wrong Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus's life got changed because he invited him to dinner. All right? You are going to change people's lives by inviting them to dinner. You're going to change people's lives by inviting them into friendship. Even though your schedule is busy, even though you work a lot, even though you're going to school, you are going to change people's lives because you are willing to prioritize friendship. This is what the kingdom was like that Jesus was establishing. It was one of friendship. It was one of acceptance. All he had to do was invite himself over. And again, look, the reason why he invited himself over is because by law, Zacchaeus could not go over to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus was an Orthodox Jew. Zacchaeus has been excommunicated. That's why, that's why Jesus invited himself into his home. He goes, you might not be able to come to me, but I'm gonna come to you. I came so that I can come to you. And he's done that same thing for you. He has come for you. God sees the outsider, the poor, the sick. He wants these people to meet God. He, the whole point of this is so that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people that were mocking um, Zacchaeus up in verse 7, he wants us to see that these people are sons and daughters being reclaimed. That's the way that we should look at people. We shouldn't make comments about their sins, about the songs that they write, about the posts that they put out. What we should do is realize that those are sons and daughters that have yet to be reclaimed. Those are sons and daughters that have yet to be reclaimed. And you know, I, every time I read this story, I just imagine, I don't know if your mind thinks like this, but again, we were called to pick up the mantle that Jesus left off. 
And I imagine if I was the one walking into this town, if I was the one walking into this town and I saw a man that was a notorious sinner, thief, that extorted people, threw people out of their homes, if I'm being really Holy Spirit led that day, right? I might smile, wave towards them. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I would never invite them over. And it started to make me wonder, have I ever walked past a Zacchaeus in my life? Have I ever walked by someone that had climbed a tree just hoping, just going out on a limb, just hoping that they would be accepted, wanted? Have I ever walked by someone like that? Have you ever walked by a coworker, by a family member, because you were too busy or because they were just too weird? Have we left people in trees because we just believe in Jesus, but we don't actually follow what he did. Because I believe in the city of Oxford and Wildwood and your family members and our friends, there's people in trees and they're wanting to find purpose. They're wanting to find freedom. They're wanting to find relationships and it's up to us whether or not we're going to bring them back into the family. It's up to us to make sure that they don't just feel welcome, but that they feel wanted. It's our call to reclaim them back to God's family. So as the story goes on in chapter 19, it eventually gets to what is known as the triumphant entry. Again, all through chapters 19, 10 through 19, Jesus is going from city to city, from town to town on his way to Jerusalem for the high feast. After his meeting for, with Zacchaeus, he goes through one more town and he arrives to Jerusalem. It's off in the distance. He doesn't ride in on a horse. He doesn't come in on a chariot, but he rides in on a donkey. And this is where we get Palm Sunday from. That's what today is. It's a celebration of this moment when Jesus goes riding into Jerusalem and people come and they grab um, throngs and they start singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The very people that one week later will be chanting, kill him, kill him, kill him, are lining the streets singing, Hosanna. And throughout the midst of these people are the religious leaders walking around. And again, they're thinking, how can we get rid of this man that has completely turned our world upside down? So in um, chapter 19, verse 41, look at this. I don't know why this hit me differently this week than it ever has before. I hope you guys get it the same way I did. It said, but as he came closer to Jerusalem, okay, again, he's on the donkey. Picture it, he's getting ready to fulfill the greatest call in all of human history. He came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead. And Jesus, the Son of God, began to weep. And he goes, oh, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Okay, again, if you don't know the story, this is going to be the city that kills this man. 
This is going to be the city that rejects him, that hangs him on a cross. And yet as he enters into it, his thoughts aren't about their wickedness or their evil. His thoughts are about how he wishes that they would repent. Oh, city of Jerusalem, he weeps over them, not because of what they're going to do to him, but because of who they are and what they're going to miss out on. He's going, I came for you and you're going to miss it. Verse 45, it says, then Jesus entered into the temple and began to drive out the people. Again, you know, I've heard so many people, they love to talk about the story of Jesus flipping tables, about running around with the whip, and they go, see, God is a God of anger. He was filled with so much love and compassion. Get this, he wanted so badly that people would repent that he walks into the city and goes, don't you realize what's about to happen? He tries to throw them out of the temple. Why? Because he wants to point them towards repentance. The time of peace is going to be hidden from your eyes if you don't. This is the story that so many point to anger. He drives out the people selling animals for sacrifices, and he said to them, the scripture declares my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Don't you realize what's going to happen if you miss my kingdom? If you continue treating church like it's a, a clique, if you continue treating church like it's just some huddle, don't you realize that you're going to completely miss out on what this kingdom is all about? You've got to flip it upside down. This is the kingdom that I brought to establish. And it's at this moment that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. We're in the middle of what we call Palm Sunday. And this is where the story really starts to boil. The Pharisees are at their wits end with this guy and they're planning on how to kill him. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week is chapters 20 through 24, the end of Luke's story. So I hope you'll come back next week. I hope you'll be a part of our Easter service. We'd love to have you. Look, 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 we'd love for you to try to bring another sheep in. If you have a family member, if you have a friend, we'd love for you to invite them because we want them to hear the story that changes people's lives. We want people to be impacted by the story that changes people's lives. So I'm gonna pray for you guys and then we can go, okay? So God, thank you for what you did. Thank you that you're a God of love, Thank you that you didn't just come for the perfect, for those that have it all together, but thank you that you came for people like me. God, will you give me a desire for the Zacchaeuses in this world? Will you give me a desire for the people that are in trees, Jesus? Will you give me a desire to enter into friendship with them? I wanna pick up where you left off, Father. I wanna bring people into your kingdom. Let's just hang here for a minute. I just want you to talk to God with your own words. You know, God, I want to be a part of this kingdom that you established. So as we close, if you want to be a part of that declaration, if you want to join in on that call, I just want you to stand and we're just going to close in prayer. If you go, you know what? I'm going to prioritize people. 
I'm going to prioritize entering into friendship with people. You don't have to, but if you're going to make a declaration and go, I'm going to take a look at my calendar, I'm going to make it a priority to enter into friendship with people. All right, and, and again, I don't want you to do it if you don't mean it because God's looking down. All right, He's not angry, He's not mad, anything like that, but I, He sees what it is that you're doing, all right? So I just want you to realize in your mind, going, you know what? I'm going to go after people. I'm going to love on people the way that I've been loved, the way that I've been called. So, God, will you work inside our hearts? Will you give us grace to do what we're called to do? Will you put people on our mind? You know, I want you to pay attention. Just ask God, will you give, will you give me certain people, bring certain people to mind, family members, friends, coworkers? Just bring people to mind, Father, that you want us to go after, that you want us to enter into friendship with. Will you give us grace to do what you've called us to do? In your name, amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.